Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You know, I remember going to this one church, and I was speaking, and I was a guest speaker, and, you know, you know the pastors, you know, it was a, more of a formal church, you know, and the pastors, you know, you, you walk out together as the ministers, so we're, we're coming out, you know. This is, this is the coming out to the pulpit minister walk. You know, so we, we're coming out, you know, and then they said, and as the guest speaker, you have to sit in the big chair. Now, let me tell you something about the big chair. The big chair is really big. This is a, is a huge chair. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the big chair? Okay, the big chair, the big chair. This is the big chair. So I'm coming by, and I'm, you know, I'm doing the minister's walk like everybody else, you know? And, and they said, well, pastor, you need to sit in the big chair. And I'm like, well, I don't really need to sit. No, I don't really. No, really, I'll just sit like right over here. They're like, no, no, sit in the big chair. Just in the, and I'm like, no, I'll sit right here. They're like, sit in the big chair. I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, I'll sit in the big chair. And I'm telling you, the chair was big. I mean, I was like this big in this chair. This chair is huge. I mean, I'm, I'm like sitting in the, the arms of the chairs are like this. And, 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 and I'm, I'm like, like looking around. I'm like, I'm like, man. And then, you know, they probably thought I was some country bumpkin. I ain't been. They probably thought I was a new preacher. I've been preaching for 25 years. They probably thought I was a new preacher. I, the big chair threw me off. I was just like, man, looking around. I'm like, man, this chair is big. I mean, I, you know, it's like three people can sit in this chair with me. I mean, this is a really big chair, but some people don't think that you are a real church if you don't have a big chair, or you're not a real preacher if you don't have, you don't wear a preacher's robe. Let me tell y'all something. I don't have a preacher's robe. I don't even own a preacher. The only robe I have is the one I wear around the house. Now, I'd be happy to wear that next week if y'all like. <laughs> y'all want me to wear that next week? Y'all, me, y'all sure? Okay, I'd be happy to wear it. If you'd like me to wear it next week, I'd be happy to wear it. I'll come to church. I'll be up here worshiping. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Yes. No, no I'm done. I'm... <laughs> you know, I'm so glad we don't have DVD. Because that honestly can, should not be seen. And, but I, I don't have a robe. I don't have, I don't have a, a clergy collar. I really don't because I, I understand that it doesn't matter. The robe does not make you a preacher. God calls you. God appoints you. God anoints you. God sends you. And that was what makes you a preacher. And God's not concerned with all these externals. I wore a robe one time. Once I was telling this last night's service. I wore a robe one time in my life it being a preacher where I was doing this wedding. And the father of the bridegroom insisted that I wear a robe. And, and he was insistent. 
And I said to him, I said, you know, I, I, I have a really, really, really nice suit. I mean, really, I've got a great, great, great black suit. I could just wear that. Look, no, 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 you have to wear a robe. And they, and they were in the flower business, so they had lots of flowers. They had flowers everywhere, flowers, y'all, coming out the door, coming out the front door. You need a weed whacker to get in the church. I kid you not. It's like, So he wanted me to wear this robe. So I finally said, okay, fine. I don't have a robe. He said, I'll get you a robe. I was like, dang. So he, so he, he says, I'll get you a robe. He got me a robe. It was a beautiful crushed velvet robe. It was like a 75-year-old robe. The robe fit perfect. I looked in the mirror and I thought, you look really good. I thought, man, you look great. You ought to start wearing a robe. And then, and then, and then I, I wore this robe the one time I've ever worn a robe. I don't wear a robe, not because I don't have anything against the robe. I don't have anything against the big chair. You know what? Listen, God doesn't have anything against the big chair. You know why? Because his chair is bigger. So he, amen. Somebody clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. And God doesn't have, you know, God has no problem with none of these things. But what we do is form over substance. We think it's these things that make us who we are. When it isn't those things that make you who you are, it's God calling you and, and what's inside your heart and, and, and the anointing that God puts on your life that makes you who you are. You know, we think that if, 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 if you're a church, if you've if you got a church and you don't have a choir, I didn't say choir. I said, quoi. It was a quoi. Sing quoi. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, if you don't have a choir and a choir with robes, well, then, oh, that's not a real church. You know the history of the robe. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but listen at this. Did you know the history of the robe? The robe, the choir robe, came from Rome. In the three, four hundreds, people wore robes as their normal clothes, so as they sang in the choir, they wore their normal clothes. But Christians began to, wear, to realize that people were showing off their clothes. The rich had really nice clothes and the poor had really poor clothes. And so they let every man wear white cotton robes so that no one knows who's rich or who's poor. And many times the choir would just have finished a meal or they would have food on their mouth or around their lips and they had no toothbrush and no mouthwash. And so they would put a stole, you know, the, the stole that goes over the robe. They would put a stole around the robe to wipe their teeth and their lips from their messy mouth. As Christianity began to move to colder climates, the choir got cold. And so they had the big bell sleeves so that when it got cold, they could just take their hands and put them in the sleeves and warm their hands. Now today, listen, we believe that choirs must have robes with a stole, when in reality, it was peasant clothes with big sleeves to keep the hands warm and the stole to wipe their teeth. And yet in many churches today, it's something that is sanctimonious and holy and that you must wear if you're a choir. Again, form over substance. That's religion. And that's religious. And too often we find ourselves in church, and perhaps you'll say amen to this. Too often we find ourselves in church doing things just because we do them, and we don't know why we do them. We just do them. You know, we get so caught up in things that God really doesn't even care about. God doesn't even care about. We get so caught up in, you know, we have to do it this way, or we have to look this way, or we have to do things this way. And God doesn't even care about it. I remember when, you know, when I first got uh, saved, 
And I went to um, a church, and um, it was actually, um, when I first got saved, I went to Kojic for many, many years. And some of y'all know what Kojic is, that's the Church of God in Christ. And um, I remember in those days, and this was, I got saved 27 years ago. And I remember in those days, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, if you wore red fingernail polish, you were considered uh, a Jezebel. If you wore red lipstick, you were considered guilty of the blood of Jesus. You, you, you had to wear your hair a certain way, and you had to look a certain way. Well, needless to say, if you know anything about church, all that's changed now. But you had to look a certain way, and you had to act a certain way. I remember when I was a little kid, and, you know, my mom is here, and she, and she remembers we used to live at 120 North Millick Street in Philadelphia. And right across the street were this group of people, and I, be, I believe they were Kojic, and they, or Church of God in Christ, and they, um, they used to wear black and white, you know, white top black skirt, and they all wore their hair in a bun. Everybody wore their hair in a bun. And I remember as a kid, and you know, right across the street in Philly, the streets are not wide at all. So, I mean, the street is about as wide as this pulpit. So, I mean, your house is here, and they're like right there. And every Tuesday night, they would come, and their hair would be in a bun. They all looked the same. And I used to think, did they get together before now? Did everybody do their hair the same way and dress the same way and then come? And then they would go inside this house, and they would speaking tongues, and they would, they would shout, and you would hear music and tambourines and, and all kinds of things. And, and, and I just remember thinking, you know, what is that? All that, you know, all of those outward things that people would find themselves doing. And, and, and for many years, you could tell if a woman was of a particular denomination because she wore black and white to church or her hair was in a bun, or they, were no, or they wouldn't wear any makeup. You know, people have asked me, can a, can a woman wear makeup? And I say, yes. Some women need all the help they can get. Sorry. Some of the wives are like, you better not laugh. Laugh, say, I'll smack you in the church. You know, it was J. Vernon McGee, and I like this. J. Vernon McGee said this, and he's gone now. He's going home to be with the Lord. But he said this. He said, Every old barn needs some paint. Some of y'all women are like, you be, go, you, I still got my hand up. You better not laugh. But, you know, it, listen, God doesn't care about any of those things. You know, it, it, we get so caught up in things that God doesn't care about. You know, can Christians drink? You know, can Christians smoke cigarettes? Somebody asked me, well, can Christians smoke cigarettes? I say, they can and I don't know why they would want to, and maybe they want to see Jesus quicker than most of us, but I don't know why they want to. People say, can Christians dance? And y'all know what I say. Some can, some can. <laughs> I can. Y'all want to see me do the Roger Rabbit? I can do a, I do a, I can do a robot right. Oh, don't get me started. You don't want none of this. Some can, some can. But we get caught up in all these things. There was a time in the church where, where Christian women couldn't wear pants. Anybody remember that? You, they couldn't wear pants. You just could not wear pants. All of these things. Listen, the Bible doesn't say a Christian can't do any of these things. A religious Pharisee would say, if you do these things, you're not right with God. And when you become pharisaical, you always become judgmental. 
and you can't see the beam in your own eye. You can only see the splinter in someone else's eye. Look at verse 11 in your Bibles really quickly. Look at how many times, note this, very interesting. Notice how many times a Pharisee uses the word I. Verse 11, I thank you. I am not like other men. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This guy had an eye problem. And he's making a big mistake because he's comparing his righteousness against another man's righteousness. Listen, when you compare yourself to another, you can always find somebody worse than you. And you can always find people better than you, but you don't look for those. But it's true. We can look for people worse than we are because it makes us feel a little bit better. And it makes you look a little bit more righteous. And what you don't know is God has already said in his word, you write this down, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, all our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. Do you understand? Any righteous thing you do is filthy rags in the sight of God. Well, you'll help the old lady across the street. Well, I give to Jerry's kids. Well, I give the Compassion International to poor kids that need food and they need shoes. I give to them and, and we do good things and it makes us feel better about ourselves and it makes us feel righteous in some way. Listen, God says all of that in his eyes is filthy rags. That word filthy rags is a word that is a disgusting word. It's, it's probably one of the most disgusting words in the Bible as it relates to what God thinks about your own righteousness. I mean, think about this. If our righteousness is like filthy rags, what must our unrighteousness look like or smell like to God? And the point is, your righteousness, whether you're a Pharisee or you're a tax collector, before God, it's filthy, it's mucky, it's muddy, and it's grimy. Saints, we need to remember, and I'm talking to Christians, We need to remember that salvation has come to us by grace. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that right? By grace. Here's an acronym for you, GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Our salvation comes to us by God's riches at Christ's expense. Let me give you a few verses. You jot down the verses. Don't try to keep up with the words, but here's some references for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk as you have received Christ. That's grace. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul gives us a definitive statement in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, grace brought you to salvation. Grace is keeping you, and grace is the only thing that could make sinners like us look forward to the coming 
of the Lord. Look at verse 13 and 14. Notice the contrast. The tax collector was standing afar off, and he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee was considered the icon of spirituality and righteousness. Tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth and at the bottom of the religious food chain in Israel. Tax collectors were classified right alongside of adulterers and murderers because they worked for the Roman government and they stole money from poor people. And Jesus says, let me tell you about the tax collector who knew that he was the scum of the earth and he confessed it. He stood afar off and he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven and beat his chest. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the original language, it reads this. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. In other words, I'm not one among others. I know that I've sinned before you. Now, here's something true in the scriptures. Listen to me close. The closer you get to Jesus the more you realize you are a sinner and you are unworthy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The closer you get to Jesus. You know, when you see a person that kind of has this holier-than-thou attitude, that proves and should prove to you that they are not close to God. People that have a holier-than-thou attitude, they're not close to God. Because if they were close to God, they would realize that they are a sinner in the presence of a holy God. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, in Isaiah chapter 6, it tells us, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the temple shook. And when that happened, Isaiah, in the presence of the Lord, he said, Woe is me, I am undone, because he saw a holy God. And when, listen to me, and when you are in the presence of a holy God, you realize that you are an unholy sinner and that you are not worthy. Peter, Peter, Peter is out fishing and he didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, go out a little further and put your net in the water. And Peter began to argue, you know, we're fishermen. We know what we're doing, but okay, fine, we'll do it. And they let down their nets, and they caught more fish than the net could hold. As a matter of fact, the net began to break. And when that happened, Peter said, depart from me. I am a sinful man. First Timothy chapter 1, Paul the apostle said he called himself the chief of sinners. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he said, I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces. You see, when you're in the presence of God, it doesn't cause pride, it causes humility. I'll say it again in case you were asleep. In the presence of God, it does not cause you to be prideful, it causes you to be humble. This tax collector, he beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector, and I get this. The tax collector's prayer, you count them in your own time, was only seven words. Seven words. How many, how, many, how many words was the Pharisee's prayer? 33. The tax collector's prayer was seven words, and the Pharisee prayed a longer prayer. But Jesus says the tax collector was, he went away justified. I've told you this in the past. I'll tell you again. The strength of prayer, listen to me, the strength of prayer has nothing to do with the length of prayer. 
The strength of prayer has nothing to do with the length of prayer. That's why you don't need to pray long and loud. You know some of the most spiritual prayers in the Bible were really short. Don't you remember the story when Peter was walking on the water? And he was looking at Jesus. And when he was walking on the water and looking at Jesus, everything was fine. He was walking on the water. Peter's like, I'm, I'm walking. Looking at Jesus, everything's cool, nothing, everything's fine. But as soon as Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And when Peter began to sink, what did he do? He prayed. He said, help! Do you understand that help is a prayer? When you are sinking, listen, people, when you are sinking, you do not have time to go, Father, in the name of Jesus, wouldst thou come down and be thine holy, grabbest thine hand if thine will, according to thine good plan and purpose in the name of the Lord, duh. You got to put duh on everything there, there. duh. And Jesus, you don't have time for that when you're sinking. When you are sinking and you need Jesus' help, you know the best prayer is help. And when you do that, the Lord will help you. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And by the way, just for the record, God does not speak in the King James. You know, you... Lord, help me. Pray for me, y'all. God does not speak in the King James. God doesn't he speak in the King James. The Queen's English, he does not. God wants you to pray. And when you pray, that just means you talk to him. And you can just talk to him. You don't have to say, willeth, if thy willeth. Amen. Wave at me, people. Let me know you're alive. Okay. You don't have to say, if thou wouldeth, if thou wouldeth. You can say, Lord, if you will. Your will be done, not your willeth be done. (laughs) Are you kidding me? God doesn't speak in the King James. God says, listen, he just wants you to pray. The strength of prayer has nothing to do with the length of prayer. And just because you pray loud like the Pharisee doesn't mean that God hears you. You are praying loud and long. And listen, God is saying, what? I can't hear you because your sins have separated you from God. Maybe you're here today and you feel like when you pray, your prayers reach the ceiling. Maybe you do. Well, listen, it could be, listen, just could be. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm just telling you. It could be that there's some sin in your life and there's some unconfessed sin in your life. You see, if there's unconfessed sin in your life, God will not hear your prayer. You cannot ask God, listen, God does not bless mess. You need to write that down. God does not bless mess. You cannot ask God to bless you if you're in sin. And I know what I'm about to say is not politically correct, but it's still true. People ask God to bless their relationships, but they're living together. Hmm. God can't bless that because that's not God's will for your life. He doesn't willeth it. Amen. Let the church say amen. Amen. You see, God doesn't bless mess. Your your prayers can be hindered because you have unconfessed sin. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. 
but your sins or your iniquities have separated you from God. Listen, God is into showing mercy and not rules. God is an awesome God. Somebody clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. And God is in the show of mercy and not rules. Hosea chapter 6, I'm going to leave you with this. I'm coming for a landing right here. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God is into meeting human needs, and human needs are more important to him than ritual observance. Mercy has priority over ritual. God loves you. God is not into religion. He is into relationship. Some people say, oh, I don't, I'm not into religion. And they'll tell me, I'm telling them about the Lord. Well, I'm not into religion. And I'll say, me neither. And they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be in religion. I'm not religion either. No, I'm not into religion. I can't stand religion. Matter of fact, religious people are, are corny. I, 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 don't, I don't like, I don't, religious people are a bummer. Aren't they? Religious people are a bummer because they're no fun. You know, you, 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 religious people, they're, they're no fun. They just, you know, they just, they're no fun. They don't, they don't, they don't do anything because they're holy. You know, it's like, oh, well, well, have you seen a movie? Oh, no, 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 we, no, we, don't, we don't go to movies. Oh, oh. oh, you know, there's a great movie out. I heard a movie called The Expendables. It's a great movie out. Oh, no, no, I would never go to a movie. Oh, no, absolutely. No, no. Oh, well, I'm too religious for that. Uh, well, yeah, have you seen Toy Story 2? No, 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 no. Toy Story 2, what is the problem? But religious people are a bummer. God's not into religion. God is into a relationship. And God loves you. And God is a God of mercy. And God is a God of grace. Somebody clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.